1 Thessalonians chapters 2 and 3. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but uh, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became um, imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up in their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. 
so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. If you leave your Bibles open there, we will have a look, particularly at chapter 3 there, and you should find a little bit of an outline of where we're going inside your leaflet if you're a note taker. It would be good if you've got a pen handy because I've got a little bit of uh, homework for you uh, at the end uh, of uh, today's talk uh, as well. Well, I don't know if anyone's ever been to this place called Kyre Ridge or even know where it is. It's an hour out of Sydney uh, in the southern highlands. Last year we decided to do the 15-hour drive uh, to Kyre Ridge. Uh, it's where families uh, that we had uh, spent four years uh, at Moore College toiling with, side by side, uh, go to spend three days together every year over the Anzac Day long weekend. Uh, they've been doing it every year for 20 years. Uh, for Geeta and I, it was our first time reconnecting with these old friends. Now, it was just six weeks uh, since we'd finished up uh, at Trinity Bay, and uh, as you can imagine, um, you make a lot of really good friends. Uh, church becomes like your family uh, over, over those 12 years. And it was like tearing a plaster off of a cut that hadn't healed. Uh, it was just so, it was hard. It was a good and wise decision, as I shared before. It really was the right time. Uh, but the truth is, we, we were both pretty raw uh, and emotional. Uh, we didn't know which way was up. And so we turned up to Kai Ridge last year we just didn't know what to expect of ourselves, but especially what happens when you know, most of my year gets together. Uh, one of the things we didn't expect to happen was to spend six to seven hours together across the three days, sitting in a big circle with about 60 adults, uh, each person or couple giving, uh, spending 10 to 15 minutes uh, sharing intimately um, you know, what's, what's, what had been going on for them. Uh, then the couple to their right would pray with them. And now I don't know about you, but I, I struggle to share what I'm feeling uh, with Gita, with my wife. Uh, here I was sitting in a room, feeling pretty raw, uh, 60 
people uh, knowing that my turn was coming. As we watched and we listened uh, to these old friends uh, share their joys, the struggles, the hopes, the dreams, the pain and the anguish, uh, I mean, we, we were, I think, just blown away. Uh, it was warts and all honesty. Uh, there were tears. There was laughter. Uh, you could almost grab hold of the love and the bond of trust in the room. I've been in a, a lot of Bible study groups, small groups in my time. I don't think I've ever felt that bond of love and trust that we experienced last year in April. And of course it's this love that caused us to jump in our car and do it all again this April, to drive the 15 hours to Kai Ridge. Now here's my question for you and why I start with this story. Of all the things that gets shared in this circle of 60 each year, what do you reckon is love's greatest anguish in the room? It isn't ministry struggles. It's not pastoral issues. It's not even really significant and even life-threatening health issues or the passing of one or more parents. Now the most distressing thing that causes some of these old friends in ministry to wake up every morning, uh, to toss and turn, uh, to worry. It's that one or more of their teenage or young adult children are struggling in their faith with Jesus or they've currently given up going to church, given up on Jesus altogether. These are good people, love their kids, brought their kids to church, read the Bible with them. This is, this, is the, this is the love that is going on at Thessalonica between Paul and this little church. Love's joy and anguish. Why well, ask for both chapters to be read out? Because I think they're the heart of the letter. Uh, I don't know if you've ever cracked a jar of honey or maple syrup and just watched it sort of seep out over the bench. Uh, you can't help but hear this letter read and hear the love seep out. The love that Paul has uh, for these new Christian children uh, back in Thessalonica. Uh, of course, the story today is becoming one more familiar to all of us, whether you're here as someone who believes in Jesus or not. It's true, isn't it? Um, increasingly, especially in light of the, the same-sex sort of discussion or debate that we never really had, um, Christians have become the bad guys. You've got more and more people, uh, politicians, leaders, media, suggesting that Christianity... Uh, the God of Christianity is actually bad for society, is bad for Australia. What do you think? You see, these new Christians in Thessalonica, uh, since they've become Christian, they've become ridiculed, paid out by their friends, families, various religious, political leaders. Um, a little bit like the reaction uh, that went viral after Israel, Israeli Folau, you know, the Australian rugby player, he, he sort of answered that question uh, quite honestly and transparently as a Christian about this is what I think. See, the best way to undermine, they know, um, these sort of opposers uh, to Christianity in Thessalonica, the best way they know how to undermine uh, Paul and his gospel and to sort of 
tempt these Christians to, to give up on Jesus is to undermine Paul's credibility. You see, why are you bothering with Paul's message? The guy's a con man. He's a charlatan. He just goes around doing this for money. He's greedy. He doesn't really care about you. He just wants to sort of praise on the popularity of people. I mean, if Paul really cared, where is he? Why isn't he here now? Why has Paul done a runner? And so Paul's writing this letter called 1 Thessalonians to these Christians. And it's like he's in, in, in the law court. It's like he's in the dock. And it's, it's a love defence. He's holding up the evidence uh, to say well, all of their accusations are unfounded and simply untrue. That I, he had great integrity and, and continues to love them deeply with integrity, even though he can't be with them. And so if you just skim over in your Bibles those first couple of chapters, I don't know if you picked up the continual repetition of, you know, you know, you know, you remember. It's there, so chapter 1, verse 5. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Chapter 2, verse 1. You know that we came literally carrying the bruises from our beating in Philippi and we preached Christ to you. Verse 2. You know our boldness to not only preach Christ to you, but we actually shared our lives with you. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you know, our motives were pure. Verses 7 and 8. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother. So full of love and affection for you. We shared not just the gospel, but our very lives as well. You became very dear to us. Verse 9, you remember. We even worked in a day job, night and day, to pay our own way, so as not to be a burden to you. Verse 10, you witnessed how holy and blameless we were among you. Verse 11, you know we were like a father is with his children, trying to encourage you, exhort you. See, this love between Paul and these Christians, I want to suggest that it's the love of a healthy church leadership. It's the love of a healthy church that's on view here. I think we're meant to see that, there's, in fact, there's no other way, genuinely, for Christians to love and care for each other. And, in fact, there's no greater way Christians can love and care for each other than the love that's on view here. So I've just summed what I think God's got to say to us this morning under three headings and the first is this uh, love's anguish love's anguish I'm sure we've all felt this uh, when we just haven't known uh, the sort of anguish that can come with no news verses 17 uh, to 20 verses 17 to 20 and I've got um, I'll just open up here we go verses 17 to 20 But brothers and sisters, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of the intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. Uh, back in uh, chapter 17 of Acts, a sort of record of the, of the early church, it tells how Paul and Silas, how they came to Thessalonica, how their gospel preaching uh, literally started turning the city upside down as one by one uh, people began responding to Paul's message. I uh, don't know if you remember the Cronulla riots and what happened there, but things got so dangerous for Paul and Silas and Timothy in, in Thessalonica uh, that uh, the new Christians had to get them out of town, fearing for their lives. Do you know the, the anguish of love? Uh, 
when you're separated from people that you love. Three years ago, we put our 16-year-old Ella, who's small in stature, she just looks fragile, we put her on an aeroplane to go and live in France for five months. Uh, It was a bit of a, a wrenching of our hearts. After a week of settling in with her new French family, uh, we, we're hopping on for our first Skype with Ella and she, and she bravely announces to us, look mum and dad, I'm not going to talk to you for a whole month. Sort of, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, because she knew that to properly cleave to her new country, her new language, to immerse herself uh, with a new family and bond, uh, she needed to sort of cut herself off. And I tell you what, that was one of the hardest months we've had. I was... We knew it was the right thing to do, but wow, no news for a whole month, you know, the other side of the world. This is what it's like for Paul, no news. These new, fragile Christians, they were only there for like two or three months before they were booted out. Paul is beside himself with fear. Um, Are they going to give up on Jesus? Are they going to give up on, on Paul and his message? Are they in danger of losing their salvation? Now, Ella's French family, the Laurents, they loved Ella like their own daughter. They were amazing. They still do. But they weren't followers of Jesus. Uh, they didn't take Ella to church. Uh, their whole lifestyle uh, was, was, was worldly. And so for five months, Ella couldn't get to church. In fact, she only met one other Christian. Uh, she'd read her Bible. She listened to Christian songs. But it was really hard for her. See, what's causing the Apostle Paul the most anguish? It's not the physical beatings that he's getting or being thrown in prison. It's not that people are are sort of rubbishing his reputation. He doesn't care about his reputation. No, no. It's the spiritual well-being of these new Christians in Thessalonica. In fact, writing to Christians uh, elsewhere, Paul writes this in his second letter to Christians in Corinth. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches who is weak and I do not feel it who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn now perhaps this sort of anguish uh, is is familiar to some of us Uh, fearing for loved ones helping out at a a church uh, book sale yesterday I was talking to Peter Peter's in his uh, mid to late 60s you know how's it going Uh, And he quickly shared that the most distressing thing going on in his life was caring for his elderly mother who was slowly dementing and dying but still not yet a follower of Jesus. Now we don't know the details but Paul says, in fact he knows it's the power of evil forces, Satan who was opposed in, in keeping him from being able to get back and see the Thessalonians. We don't know what it is. As he says, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Paul here is is a gospel realist, if you like. He's got a profoundly uh, biblical worldview. He knows God is in charge. God is in charge over everyone and everything in the whole universe, including the powers of evil. He knows there is no stronger or safer refuge than in Jesus. That in Jesus you have the victory, even over these powers. But Paul knows that Satan, 
He is the great adversary. He knows that for any human being on the planet, it is Satan who is your greatest adversary. He is the one who most wants to see you fail. He wants to destroy you and destroy your families and destroy the people around you. You know that research shows that people in Australia, or about half of the Christians in the West at least anyway, only half believe uh, that Satan or the devil is a personal being. Uh, They don't really believe in him at all. Now of course, um, Satan means adversary. The devil... That the name means deceiver. What a great deception, a beautiful deception uh, to, to, to trick people to think that he's not even there. So these Thessalonian Christians and those like them, uh, the very point and purpose of Paul's ministry la- labours, why he's putting in the long days, why he's struggling and wrestling, why he's willing uh, to fill up in his own flesh beatings and, and, uh, and lashings, with all joy it's because it's for the sake of the people whom Jesus came to save people like these Thessalonians what is our hope or joy or crown and boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming is it not you you are our glory and our joy most of us know um, how so much of our joy a deep satisfaction gets wrapped up uh, in our loved ones It gets wrapped up in in the success of our spouse or our children. Uh, When they're doing well, we're doing well. When their life is falling apart, so is ours in here. So if these newborn children of God, if they give up on Jesus, Paul's preaching and the suffering he's endured for for their sake, it's, it's all in vain, he says. It's empty. Which brings us to love's anguish with no news. That leads to love's disruption to find out news. Uh, that is, Paul is he's, he's going from city to city, he's preaching Christ. We read there in chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through to 3. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Of course today uh, we've got all sorts of ways we can find out news, haven't we? But you know what? I, I'm, I suspect that even if Paul had all of the technology at his fingertips that we have today, I think his greatest desire still would have been to wanting to see these Christians face to face. I think he still would have disrupted his plans. He still would have sent Timothy off to see how they are, to encourage them, to establish them and ground them in the faith. It's true, isn't it? We know this to be true. When you're feeling worn down or worn out, you're struggling, you're suffering, you get hit by an illness, you're suddenly in hospital. I mean, there's no greater encouragement than seeing a friendly face walk through the door. Is it? I was visiting Dean the other day in at Ashford. Dean's in his late 80s. Uh, he's become a Christian in the last five or six years. He shared with me how since he'd been in there every day, uh, Rick, 
uh, and Wayne, uh, a younger Christian man, would walk through the door to sit with him, uh, to, to visit with him, uh, determined to read the Bible with him. Uh, Wayne was reading through 1 Peter, Rick was reading through the Psalms, uh, and to pray with him. Uh, see, they're in a men's group that meet in Dean's house every Friday morning. Dean just said, oh, I'm so encouraged. It's so good to see them. I just can't believe, you know, what an amazing family that this church is that I'm a part of. So loving, so kind. See, authentic love is disruptive, isn't it? I'm sure Rick and Wayne have other things to get on with in their day. But they disrupt those plans, put their own personal plans on the shelf to make the effort to love, to care, which brings us to love's joy and thankfulness with this news, this news here in verses 6 to 9 of chapter 3. But Timothy has just now come to us from you. He's brought us good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. See, Paul can write 1 Thessalonians because Timothy has returned. He's, it's literally the word for gospel. He's brought back gospel news. They haven't abandoned Paul, which means they haven't abandoned his gospel, which means they haven't abandoned Jesus, which means they are standing firm. Despite the strife they are enduring, they still believe. Verse 7 and 8. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. What's the source of Paul's distress and affliction? Well, for him, it's that he won't stop talking to people about Jesus. What's the source of the affliction for these Christians in Thessalonica? Well, it's that they're standing up for Jesus and speaking out for Jesus. In fact, to such a point that already their reputation is become known all around Asia. How brave and courageous this new little church plant is. Just like any mother or father's greatest comfort is news from their kids living in interstate or overseas. And can I say, it was great when we logged back on a month later to talk to Ella. Um, but for Paul, it's hearing that all is well with God's children in Thessalonica. All is well. Their, their spiritual health and well-being is going well. It brings him great joy. So profound uh, was Ella's visit with the Laurent family in France uh, that um, they got on Skype with us and said, would it be okay if we sent Lisa back to spend four months with you? Uh, but it has to be with you, <laughs> uh, with, with your family. Uh, and we said, sure, you know, why not? There's enough going on already in our life. But anyway, so for the second half of 2015, uh, Lisa came um, and... Uh, and, and it, was, it was beautiful uh, as she got to know our family and, and, and loved us as Ella had loved her family. Uh, and of course we took her to church and, and the youth group and, and our church, they just loved her to bits. She was so affected by how she was welcomed and loved. She said, I've just never known love like this before. And that curiosity led her to want to find out about Jesus. Why wouldn't you want to find out about Jesus? When you can experience love 
like we see that's on view here in, in Thessalonians. Uh, it was hard for Lisa to leave, to go home, and it's been hard for her uh, to sort of work out how to live as a, a new Christian. Uh, at the moment, mum and dad still uh, aren't believers, and, and going to church isn't their thing. On my, on my prayer card, in my Bible, I've got all the names of my family and relatives and, and friends and, and neighbours who I try to pray for, you know, most days. But I've also got Lisa and her family who I try to pray for most days. Uh, last week, um, I had another one of those things called birthdays. I got this surprising um, text. It was only 41, give or take 10 years, anyway. But it was a beautiful little surprising text from the other side of the world, from Lisa. Dear Australian Daddy, Happy birthday! Guess what? I've just had two weeks exchange in Canada and they were a Christian family and they took me to church and we sang my two favourite songs, Hosanna and Mighty to Save. Love Lisa. How kind of our Heavenly Father to cling to Lisa like he is. Uh, I would certainly appreciate if you would include Lisa and her family in your prayers. But do you notice how this, um, this good news it bubbles over with thanksgiving uh, to God? What does Paul say? Verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you? How can we thank God enough for you? In return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you. You see, Paul's joy is wrapped up in their joy, in their spiritual well-being. How right it is. I mean, again, why is that? Because Paul knows that the battle for, for souls, the battle for every human soul, it's a spiritual battle. And only God is mighty to save because only God can save. It's only by God's kindness that these, these, these Christians in Thessalonica have come to saving faith in Jesus. It's only by God's power and his grace that they continue to stand firm. And so he just bubbles over with thankfulness and joy to God. Satan has been tempting them, just like Satan is tempting Lisa. But God is clinging to them. He's clinging to these Christians. As Jesus says in John chapter 10, he records this in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. If you are with Jesus, you are safe. Always. It's why we have so much reason to to bubble over in prayer and thanksgiving when we get together in our groups here on Sundays, always in prayers of thanksgiving. We've got so much to give thanks to God for. Brings us to that last point. Why love prays like this? Verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. In fact, three times in the passage, 
Paul says, I just want to come back to you. I want to get back to you. God, help us to get back to you. But more than this, Paul knows that behind all of the the blockage that's coming from Satan, all the temptation to give up on Jesus um, that the Thessalonians are experiencing, that they're standing firm. He knows it's a spiritual battle, which is why I think regularly praying, praying constantly for people by name, praying for one another. It's not only the hardest and the most important habit to nurture, but it's just got to keep working at it day in, day out. I don't think it ever gets easier. But we want to keep working at it till it becomes like breathing. But I think the second reason that love prays like this is because love is a relational word. You actually need another human being, don't you, to, to, to love or to, to be loved. Uh, God is personal. God is there who loves us and to, to be loved. But it's, love is it's, it's a face-to-face word, isn't it? It's what we're wired for doing relationships face-to-face. Maybe that could be a new social media networking site, you know, called face-to-face. <laughs> anyway, as I've already illustrated with Dean, there's nothing like face-to-face encouragement from the Bible and in prayer and just practically doing what you can to care for another human being. Another human being who's being tripped up by the guilt of sin. Maybe they've made a stupid decision, a stupid choice. And, and, and they're really being affected by it. Caring for another human being who's been beaten up by illness. Or maybe just the wheels are sort of falling off their life a bit. Of course, when we go through these times, we sort of often want to withdraw. The temptation is to do an Adam and Eve. It's to, it's to retreat from God and his people for different reasons. Sometimes it's got to do with just shame and humiliation. Uh, of just actually um, having to admit these things that are going on in their life. We try to hide and, and to cover those feelings of shame and guilt, just like Adam and Eve so unsuccessfully tried to hide their shame and guilt in the garden. But of course that's what the devil wants us to do. It, he wants us to think that when we're in these spaces and places we can't reach out and ask for the help of another, that we can't actually walk in I mean, to even think they could walk in to a community like this and actually be loved and not judged. It's why habitually, I think, just making it a must to be here, to be with your group, it matters. God says, you and I, we need face-to-face encouragement constantly as much as we can get. But not only that, I need it from you. Stephen Duncan, they need it from you just as much as you need it from them. We need it from each other. It's how we are to wait until Jesus returns. So what's the goal of this face-to-face word and prayer ministry? Well, it was just beautifully illustrated in Duncan's little talk over here. It was what I made. I know you meant to actually stuff that up, wasn't it? So we would never forget it. That's it. I, I, it was planned. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> what does what Paul pray? What's the whole goal of, 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 of praying like this? May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Overflow in love for one another and for all as we do for you. 
because he knows that has to happen if they're going to be established blameless and holy and go the distance and waiting for Jesus to return. You see, if you could put God into your favourite pot at home and sort of boil God dry, you know, just distill him to the, the really essential bit, um, if you could put Christianity in your favourite pot at home and boil it down, distill it to its absolute essence, what, what are you left with? God is love. That's right. God is love. A Christian is someone who's just been simply bowled over, run over by the love of God. Heart, mind and soul captured by the love of God. Adopted to become one of his children, beloved of God. Safe, impossible to be snatched out of God's hands. And so how do we live in response to such love? Well, it's to, with God's help to love God with all that we have and all that we are. To love our neighbour, whoever they happen to be in the moment, with all that we have and all that we are, as God has loved us. And so the takeaway, I think, for God's children at Trinity South Coast uh, is hopefully pretty obvious. There really is no other love. There's no other way worth loving like. There's no greater way you can love another human being than like this. A love that anguishes over the welfare of people standing before God. A love that is very quick to disrupt personal agendas to halt plans to shelve them to change them for the sake of going face to face to encourage and build up another human being to help them out practically a love that always rejoices with the news that they're actually they're going along okay they're standing firm in Jesus and finally the love of a healthy church and ministry it prays like this knowing that what matters is that we grow continually abounding in this love for one another and for all. This brings us to uh, finish off with just a very simple and practical task here. Uh, Paul says, increase and abound or overflow in love for one another and for all, for everyone else. One another, I think, of the Christians there and other Christians. And I take that the for all is for all the other people in Thessalonica, for all the others who haven't yet heard about Jesus. And so uh, I'm going to sit down after I pray. Steve will come up in a few minutes, but in that time I would love you as you reflect over what this love means for you. If I could trouble you to please just to jot down three names, three Christian people you could maybe investing in the next little while to love well and maybe three not yet Christian people who you know you could pray for maybe invite them along next Sunday uh, or not but just to seek to love them as Christ has loved you let me pray loving father thank you so much uh, for this letter uh, that is uh, just peels back uh, your heart, helps us just to see how profound and great your love is. Uh, 
Um, as we have a look at the Apostle Paul, your Apostle, who himself uh, was run over by the love of Jesus, uh, who was captured by your love uh, and went about his ministry in a way that was just full of love and care and concern uh, for fellow human beings. Father, please, uh, for those of us here who are still grappling with the truth and the significance of Jesus for their lives, I pray that you would help them to uh, know um, uh, just how much they are loved by you, uh, what, what you've done for them in your son. Uh, Father, I pray for, the, for those of us here who uh, see themselves as Christian, as followers, uh, please will you answer this prayer for us. Uh, may we, day by day, increase and abound in this love we know that we need to do this for our own well-being but also for the well-being of those around us and there's so many who are yet to know the goodness of your love for them in Jesus we pray this for your glory Lord in Jesus name Amen